welcome back to another episode of How Has Your Week Been? I am super excited, done a little bit of traveling today. We are in Tring uh, with the marketing maestro, brand builder, and all-round nutrition ninja that is uh, the founder and CMO of Fuel, uh, Julian Hearn. Julian, oh, great to have you on. Oh, thank you for coming. Um, as I ask every guest at the beginning of the uh, podcast, how has your week been? Oh, it's been very busy. I was up in London yesterday doing an awards dinner, which is a little bit embarrassing. I've never done this before. I had to go up and do a little speech, and then I was the one handing the trophies over and taking the pictures with it. So oh, was, wow. Yeah. Like doing, you know, like when they bring the Oscars on and people do it. Was present. Exactly like you that. didn't read the wrong name out or anything. Well, <laughs> oh, you didn't do that one. <laughs> no, luckily enough. Anything, anything else you've been up to? What's the um, what else going on in the business at the minute? It's just non-stop at the moment. This is my, I've had back-to-back meetings all morning. So we're building up for our Jan. Jan's really big time for us. Okay. You know, like t- typically December, people are misbehaving <laughs> when it comes to nutrition. <laughs> A lot of mince pies, turkey, and drinking too much. And I think everybody hits sort of boxing day and goes, oops, what have I done? And uh, so they start to look for a healthy solution in January. So we do get a, a big bump in January. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that because you think it's the whole lot like, gym, you know, like the gym, like everyone's subscriptions at the gym kick back in. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then by March, they're either kicking in still or they're like, oh, no, I haven't been <laughs> or, since. Or, or, or mid Jan. I don't know if they last in March. Yeah, people, yeah. But I think with us, usually what we see is uh, January is a big sort of, it's not a spike, it's usually a big step change and then it carries on throughout the rest of the year. It's not like we just get it and it just peters off. It's literally December. Jan and then goes again. But that's just pure, I guess that's purely based on the amount of growth you're having as a business as well. In terms there, is, of there is part of that, I think, um, also that we've got a subscription model. So once people like us, they stay on for longer. Nice. So we're not positioned ourselves as a weight loss product. We position ourselves as healthy food, healthy convenience food, so that you know it's not something you take for Jan and give up on. You know, Once you get used to it and you realize that it's a better solution for your lunch, you feel healthier, you feel better, maybe I've lost a few pounds as well, that you carry on for longer. So it's uh, it's not a spiky product. No, it's uh, it's amazing. I think that, you know, we're gonna go into a bit more of that in terms of the uh, the journey. But I mean, interestingly, uh, you know, as, as the founder of, uh, and co-founder of On The Tools, uh, and obviously now we've sort of switched into the branding and uh, agency as, a, as Electric House, uh, but still operating On The Tools, very interesting to find out you were a labourer for two years when you first left, uh, left school. I did, um, yeah. So you went from labouring and then into uh, and then back at to back into university or Correct. college. Yeah. yeah, I worked for two years digging holes in the road basically, and um, it was good working with lads. I like working, you know, it's good laugh. Um, and but I think my girlfriend said to me, she goes, "What are you doing? This is not going to go anywhere." Um, so yeah, she said, "You're too bright. Why don't you go back to uni?" But even when I went back to uni, I was still working doing timber frame erecting with a different set of lads. So I've always worked. <laughs> always manual. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I historically, I've done, I've done quite a bit of manual labour yeah. at the time for sure. It's interesting that when I was reading your story, you uh, you um, you write on your website about the fact that you left school with little grades and then yeah. uh, and then went into labour. And I, uh, when I I went into A levels um, <clears throat> just because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and then I left A levels with like. I think two E's in a year, and then bizarrely went to uni. Like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm really not very good at this whole education piece, but I'm yeah. going to go and carry it on somewhere. Yeah. And then dropped out, and then didn't you know? And then basically just tried to work and did labouring, did lots of you know, dug out gardens for conservatories. Done, um, you know, worked in shop fitting, tried to do plastering, and loads of different things. But um, interesting that you, uh, I th- and it's a common thread you often find with with <clears> founders <throat> of you know, and entrepreneurs and yep. stuff. That actually. Education system wise, they're not necessarily grades were never something that was high on the list, or that actually people 
came out with in, in yeah I agree I think you see it quite often people have got really poor grades and go on to do good things yeah so don't you know if you've got low grades don't worry about it but at the same time I think sometimes the grade is not necessarily a direct reflection of you it might be your motivation at that particular time yeah. so when I was at school I didn't want to be there I don't think the teachers wanted to be at my school so nobody got good grades I didn't know anybody you know you see kids now getting 11 A stars yeah. my day there was no A stars for starters there was A's I don't think I knew anybody got even an A so I think that most of it was just you were there and you wanted to get out as soon as possible. So I got, I got four C's and the rest were E's and D's and stuff like that. So uh, no, I didn't get good grades, but once I decided, you know, when I was working as a labourer, I was earning all right money. When I decided to go back to college, I got a distinction at BTEC level and then I went on to do a degree and I got a 2-1 because I decided I wanted to do it and I wanted to be there. So I remember when I was at uni, I was three years older than everybody else. And there's a lot of people there messing about. Yeah. But because I'd given up a salary, I was there to work. I needed that grade. That's what I've gone back for. It's not like I was just there for the sake of it. Yeah, I was there yeah. I wanted something. So because I decided I wanted it, I got better grades. Yeah, the motivation piece and that fulfillment bit is <clears throat> it's so important, isn't it? And I think once you've got it, particularly yeah. the motivation bit, then yeah, you can sort of like yeah. power on, can't you? But yeah. so talk to us about um, you know, Huel is uh, is a brand that I've seen for a good couple of years now and um a few people in the office of uh, Hewlers, or have you got a name? Is there a name? Hooligans. Hooligans, yeah. of course it's Hooligans. Why did I not get that? Yeah. Uh, Hooligans, love that. Um, you know, talk to us about how, how that started, why, why you got into it. You've had previous businesses, not, not your first business, yeah. Huel, isn't it? Is it? Um, yeah, that's right. I started a previous business. So just to go back, I was after my degree, I got a degree in marketing. So I worked in marketing uh, for 10 plus years, pretty much like companies like started at MFI. Furniture retailer, long time ago. You know MFI, right? I'm living in Tamworth. Right. Massive warehouse of MFI in Tamworth. Ah, yeah, okay. otherwise, yeah. I remember it as a kid. Okay. Used to throw stones at the side of the house. <laughs> I was really little. Well, you know, like six or seven. Okay. Um, uh, Starbucks, Tesco's, Waitrose, House of Fraser, companies like that. So I sort of carried on my career in marketing. And then uh, 2008, 2007, me and my wife were trying to have a baby. We tried to have for a number of years. We'd had a few miscarriages. So I wanted to be at home with her. Yeah. But I was commuting into London. So what I decided to do was to get out of London. I needed to be working from home. And Aylesbury is not exactly the hotbed of good companies to work for. So I decided I needed to do it myself. And uh, I went to this uh, an affiliate event and there was some guys there and they were working from home. So I thought, perfect solution. And I knew they was earning really good money because we were paying them. And uh, spoke to some of these guys and realized they were just the same as like you and I. They were intelligent enough, but they weren't like super intelligent. And uh, just thought, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So I spent about next year trying to suss out how to do this in my evenings and weekends. So I'd come home from work, seven o'clock at night, have a tea, get back on the computer, and learn, learn, practice, learn. And did that for nearly a year until I started earning a little bit of money at it and thought, right, I know how to do this now, I need some more time. I said to my wife, right, I need, uh, um, I need to have a crack at this, but I need to jack my job, I need to go full time at it. So the deal I made with was, I would could do this for a maximum of six months. In six months time, if I wasn't earning as much of my salary, I'd go back and get a real job. Within three months, I was earning more than my salary, and it just went from there. So within three years, I built this company from scratch, sold it to an American company for over $10 million, and took a little bit of time out, and because we did have a young child, and then went to work, sorry, then decided I wanted to do something else, and started a company called Body Hack, which is when I was gonna do an evidence-based website to test out which meal plans and which um, exercise programs work. I was the guinea pig, 
for one of them, within three months I'd gone down from 21% body fat down to 11% body fat, so I was 40 years old, and that's just because I weighed all of my food. Uh, I knew exactly how many calories I was taking in, how many calories were going out, and that means I was on a 500 calorie deficit per day, lost a pound every, every week for 13 weeks in a row, went stripped the body fat off, and um, got a little bit of traction with that business, but the consensus feedback I got from everybody, one of my mates said, I want to do what you did, I told him what I did, and it goes, you, you mental, there's no way I could do that. <laughs> I struck something. Like, no, nah, mate, that's just you, that is. You're not following a couple of people, we ain't doing that. Yeah, exactly, because I mean, it was just like, it was weighing, I was cooking all my food from scratch, so breakfast was like five egg whites, 30 grams of porridge oats, 20 grams of coconut oil, 20 grams of blueberries or something. At 11 o'clock, you had to cook an egg and 100 grams of broccoli, and then at one o'clock, it was 200 grams of turkey, 50 grams of quinoa, 100 grams of baby swinage and some olive oil and stuff like that. I mean, it goes, sounds beautiful, but <laughs> the commitment going, is just, yeah. it's there. Isn't it? And there goes, no way, I can't do that. So uh, the protein shake I had in the afternoon, <clears throat> I was having that with some rice cakes, protein shake was super simple. You put some water in it, take a scoop, put it in, put a lid on, shake it, bang, done. And uh, that was the easiest meal out of the whole lot. So it made me think, well, protein you can't live off. That's that you need more nutrients than that. Why well, yeah. can't put all the nutrients into the same format as a protein shake? And that's where Huel came from. It's uh, did you have like um, so from from that point then then so you've 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 got this idea. You've already yeah. got a current business that you that you're running and, yeah. and trying to get yeah. some traction with. You just can that and go right. Pretty much. I'm now got to work out what this this idea in a bottle is, yeah. like what it's containing, like yeah. why it contains that, obviously yeah. the brand. Yeah. It seems like you're quite passionate about brands, so was that Correct. the, yeah. was Huel the first thing, you, did, you, did you know the name straight away? No, no, so the, so once I, once I sort of got the concept in my head, I sort of, you know, you can't get it out of your head, you start yeah. thinking about it, then you start thinking of all the different angles, and uh, you start going, you try and, you, you, you sort of double guess yourself a little bit, you go, is this a stupid idea or is it not a stupid idea? And you think, no, I can't get out of me. And you keep thinking, and you think, well, actually, um, you know, powder, there's no water, so there's no bacteria, so it's got a year's shelf life, so it's really good, it lasts longer. Then you start thinking, well, actually, you can, we could make it vegan, because at the time I'd seen a load of, um, at the time I'd seen some videos on uh, YouTube that are quite horrific when you see like the way animals being treated. I think it was like in the news story where somebody in the, I don't know, in the abattoir in Turkey, they were hitting, flipping cows over the head with sled, sledgehammers or something disgusting. You're just thinking you don't know where your meat come from, and there'd been the sort of horse crises and stuff like that when we get yeah. horse meat. You start thinking, well, why can't we do it vegan? You know, plant-based is, is better for the environment, all this sort of stuff. So you start thinking all these other ideas. So I thought more about it. You go on Google, do some research, and I thought, yeah, my nutrition knowledge is probably about that much at the time. So I need a nutritionist, you go and find nutritionists. I started, I spoke to a guy in Australia, a guy in America, who found the nutritionist, which we use today, James Collier's co-founder. I went to see him and said, is this a stupid idea? He went, no. He said, give me a couple of weeks, paid him some money. Two weeks later, he came out with a formula for Huel. And I thought, right, we're onto something here. I can make it in my house, I could try it and use it. And I was thinking, this, this, this works, I, I like this, this is good. And then I started thinking, right, yeah, brand name. Uh, then I just thought, right, I can do the brand. I could do the, the copy for the website. I can do the photography. I can get the website up. Because my background was e-commerce and, and marketing and brand. And all I need is the physical product. I'm making my kitchens. So that's dead easy to do. The, the, the name did take a long time. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of names to go through. You think of going back to everything from, I don't know, 
ancient Roman gods through to using every single yeah, word for taking, food in different... Taking the Nogs exactly. or things like that. Yeah, every, every, <laughs> every language around the world, so you're like... You, um, you put the word food into it and see what the word comes out yeah, with all these different yeah. things, so many different ways of looking at it and eventually came up with human you know it was, it was human food or fuel sorry yeah put it together and um there you go you get you make a unique word a unique word is better than a common word because every time anybody writes that word it has to be us yeah it doesn't exist anywhere else um so those things were sort of fairly easy to do in comparison to actually get the physical product bloody made that's the thing that took the time it took probably 18 months nearly to get the thing made so early on then talk me through you, you've got this product that you that you can you can make in your kitchen yeah yeah and yep. like early doors yeah what's that first step of taking a product like this yeah and taking it in and, and getting someone to go yeah right, i'll take 20 and i'll try and sell them somewhere or i'll take a hundred or i'll take a thousand or whatever what's that for? like because that's got to be such a you've got the product you've got the brand and you're yeah. like well, once we had the product made, I mean, my background's e-commerce, yeah. so I thought, um, and my background's retail as well, and I basically know retailers are difficult to work with sometimes. You know, they, they have, they've got a lot of products in their stores already, they have long lead times, you know, they do range reviews sometimes every six months, or even sometimes every year. You have to persuade them, they get people every day trying to sell them new products, and they go, that, that might not work. You yeah. know, they, who do they know to believe? There's no data. So it's quite hard to persuade someone. And I thought, why should I do that? I mean, I only wanted a lifestyle business, really. I wanted something, I'd already made my money. So I just wanted something I was gonna be into. And uh, I just thought of this concept, I think I've talked about it before, but like a thousand true fans. If you can get a thousand people to buy a hundred quid's worth of stuff from you per year, you've got a hundred thousand pound business. That's a nice little business for people, right? Yeah. So, I would be into it, it'd be something I would personally use myself. I thought, I'm not that different from other people. If I can't find a thousand people in that, 64 million people in the UK, I'm doing something wrong. So that was the original sort of concept. And I thought, I don't need a retailer to hit a thousand people. So just sell it direct. Straight to e-commerce, just straight, to straight direct consumer. Yeah, yeah. correct, yeah. And um, you launched, what was the first month like? Well, we actually, I checked the other day, I actually saw this name, this guy sort of wanted to follow me on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. His name was pretty unusual. I thought I recognised that name, and it was actually our customer number two. And I, <laughs> As if you remember the customer well, you number do, two. The I mean, first couple of customers you do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, I thought shit. So I actually got in touch with him. I said, "You do know that you were number two? And he goes, "No, I didn't realise." But um, yeah, he was number two. And actually, he he bought from us before we even launched because I'd got the website already, and of course, it wasn't. It was it was live to the world. It wasn't a password protected website. It was live. But nobody knew it existed because I hadn't promoted it or told anybody. I went onto uh, this uh, London London startup group on Facebook, and I was just chatting to some people on there, and I was asking a few questions about I don't know PR agencies or whatever it was yeah. at the time. And some people say, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm just about to launch this product." And they said, "Oh, what is it?" And I explained what it was. So I wasn't doing promotions or trying to like get sales, but people obviously had read it. Somebody had interested. They clicked on the link, went through, and bought before it even officially launched. So two days before. Sorry, two customers before we launched had actually gone through the site. When I was testing it myself, they'd gone through and purchased. So we did get initial traction straight away, probably from that first Facebook group. We got sales in the first week, uh, and then just grew from there. It's, I mean, you know, and, and then you look at, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky enough to come down today, and you, there's a big office in, in Tring, and, yep. um, you know, reading, you've, you've valued at 220 million. 
when that was last year. Last October, yeah, we, we raised twenty we raised twenty mil. Twenty million quid and they gave us a valuation of two hundred and twenty million, which is yeah, absolutely crazy when you and think about how it. How long has the business been running? At that time it was just over four just over four years, yeah. Mental. Mental. Um, how do you as a as a as a founder of someone who you've already set up another business, a media business before, yeah, the first stage of media business that you've yeah. on, yeah. Um, you're then moving into this like interest that you've got, yeah. And you just mentioned then I was happy with I just wanted something I was into, yeah, or I was happy with something that was like a lot of like a lifestyle business, yeah. Have you at any point got through this and been like? This is actually growing too big for what I actually sort of set out or what I wanted it to be. Not that you, I don't know whether anyone sets out to be like, I don't want this to be a big business, yeah. but equally, and and probably I don't want this to be a small one, but I want yeah. it to be something for me. Yeah. Has have you ever got to the point where you're like, this isn't actually, for, this is this is going too big. The, the wheels are on. No, no, I don't think so. I think I've still got. Um, I gave up the CEO role. But I've still got the majority share of the company, and because I'm CMO and I sit on the board, I'm still heavily involved. So it's still my baby. I think sometimes that may happen. If you, um, I don't want to name names. We we're talking about this company the other day. They've they've taken lots of investment. They're losing money. I have to keep more and more investment. So I know the founder's got single digit share left. So I bet that feels like it's gone from him. He, he doesn't have any control anymore. Yeah. And I bet that probably does feel like it's just gone and out of control. But for me, because I'm still heavily involved. It's still my baby, and yeah, it's a it's a big business. But you know, we've got a hundred people worldwide, so it's big, but it's not like massive. Yeah. So I think it's still you know I still know everybody's name. I've still interviewed everybody who's joined. I still induct everybody here. It still feels smallish. I know it sounds a little bit silly in some ways, but it still feels that it hasn't gone. Um, it's not unwieldy, it's still controlled and everybody's here for a reason. We all know what we're doing, we spend a lot of time together. It still feels like a, a small little family. Yeah. And uh, you just mentioned then, then you, so you were CEO, CEO and you stepped into the CMO role. Yeah, correct. How was, how was that transition? What's Super the... easy, really. Really, yeah. <laughs> CMOs um, is my, you know, my, my bag. Yeah, so I, that's what I wanted to do. And what I realised was is that, uh, it must have been like nearly two years ago now, I just realised I hadn't done any marketing or branding stuff for nearly a month. And I was just thinking, what the fuck's going on? Like, <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm good at. Yeah, I haven't yeah. done any of that for nearly a month because I've been doing stuff that I'm not good at. You know, which should be legal, finance, HR, uh, operations, even like, you know, like um, office stuff. And I just felt like that's illogical to do. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why am I doing stuff that I'm not good at? And that's swallowing up all my time, so I can't do the stuff that I am good at. It didn't yeah. seem to make any sense. And um, thought about it. Luckily, we started a board quite early, and two of the guys on the board are non-execs, so they're sort of outside of the company, but in the company at yeah, the same time. Yeah. So they, they're very sort of impartial and can give really good advice. Spoke to them and said, look, this is that doesn't, this is not working for me. I don't, I don't like what I'm doing, and I'm not doing the stuff that I'm good at. It doesn't make any sense. So we talked about it. And then we just thought, no, that's it. Let's recruit a CEO. And uh, luckily, we you know went through a process again. I'm like I said, I'm involved in all the recruitment. I actually found James via LinkedIn myself. Oh really? Yeah, I passed him on to a, um, a sort of a external part-time recruiter that we were using. So can you do the initial uh, outreach to these sort of three, four, five people? But James was one of the people that I found. 
And so James McMaster joined as the CEO, and it's been yeah, it's been a really good partnership. Amazing. Yep. So what I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break on quizzing you. Okay. On your history of the brand, right. but I am going to quiz you. <laughs> okay. Uh, every podcast we have a quiz. I think Jamie went down the route here of, of uh, we were speaking about this, and Jamie was like, I, you know, I want this to do the, uh, I don't want to do it on, on food because you know it's, I, I sort of don't want to go against the, the brand of fuel, okay. or, you know, uh, healthy food and stuff. So we, we uh, Jamie's uh, gone down the route of strength. Okay. Yeah. So we're right. going on a strength quiz. Five questions, multiple okay. choice. So you know, okay. we're doing it uh, too concerned with it. So. Um, and what we do here is we collect uh, whip coin. So how's your week been coin? At the end of the series, the winner uh, with, the mo- uh, with the most amount of points at the end of the series will then get a little prize. Okay, so nice. that's a sort of big thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, so, so I'm going to turn my screen away just so you know. Okay. Not that I don't trust <laughs> Did you. Did you see me cheating? See you sweating when I said quiz. So uh, number one, what is the strongest animal relative to its body weight? Right. I, think, I think this is an ant. Oh, I've got multiple choice for Oh, that. right, sorry, so, sorry, sorry, I've jumped the gun. I've yeah. got A, eagle, B, elephant, C, dung beetle. Oh, I've got a dung beetle then. He was straight in, he, was, yeah, he already had the ant, didn't he? Yeah. So, did you know that a dung beetle can pull 50 times? 1,141 times their own Jesus body weight. Christ. Which is the equivalent of a human pulling six double decker double wow. horses. I mean, that's mental, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Get them around the office. <laughs> um, Number two, so yeah. a ding on the first one, well done. Number two, what is the world record weight from a deadlift? Is it A, 6,720 pounds, B, 1,015 pounds, or C, 3,067 pounds? 1,000. 1,015 pounds yeah. is correct. Uh, uh, I just want to go back to the quiz master there. The disparity between those <laughs> is huge, isn't it? 6,000 um, pounds would be a bit of a job, yeah. It, it was Dung a uh, number three, what is the strongest muscle in the body? Is it A, the glutes? Is it B, the masseter? Or is it C, the tongue? Glutes. It is not. It's tongue. It is B, the masseter, which is your jaw. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, your jaw muscle. It's the strongest. I think it's the defined strongest, though. Yeah, what, yeah maybe. You, <laughs> I love this straight. He's got one question wrong. He's like, hang on a minute. I'm going back on. I'm, I'm, Surely, that, I'm not here. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, num- <laughs> number four, where can you find the smallest muscle? Um, is it A, the little toe? Is it B, the eyebrow? Is it C, the ear? Have you got a muscle in your ear? I suppose you, some people can wiggle their ears, can't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyone who tries to, just their eyebrows must start about Yeah, your eyebrow you. moves quite a lot, so you'd think it's got to be a bigger muscle. I'm trying to do it though. You wiggle your ears and your toe. Which, sorry, what toe? Big toe, little toe? Little toe. Jesus, this is quite tricky, this one. I haven't got a clue. Well, you're really thinking about it though. I am thinking about yeah, it. I'm the prize. You just want to lose the points. <laughs> this is a competitive nature. <laughs> Uh, it's really interesting doing quizzes with like founders and like entrepreneurs. None of them want to lose. They're always like, I'm going to have to go with ear. And it is the correct answer, yeah? yeah. Ear is the right it one. It just moves the least, so it's got to be the smallest. So, uh, number five, final question. Do okay. well, four out, uh, three out of four so far. Uh, number five, what is the strongest pure metal in the world? Is it A, tungsten, B, chromium, or C, titanium? Uh, titanium. Is the wrong answer? It's uh, a tungsten. Tungsten. Yeah, okay, tungsten is the uh, is the the strongest. So three out of five on the quiz. 
Rubbish. Um, all right. <laughs> can get give uh, giving uh, other points along the way just for you know random acts of great qu- uh, answers or things like that. All, all right. right. All Good right. stories. All right. Um, you've you've got. To, I was going through your. Um, through the website and picked up the which I like by the way and something Thank we're, you. I think something we're going to copy actually right. you've got that like sort of like the founders page on the website I really yeah. like it it's sort of a real nice way of being able to sort of because I, I think that was me I did all that myself was it yeah. it's good I, I like Thank the I just think it sort of humanises businesses doesn't it quite well where you yeah. can really get an in-depth story of what where the founders come from what they've yep. done some of the team things like that so it was a nice uh, nice part but and, and you wrote on there's a few things on there that I, I took from it and one of them was that you put ensure you have a powerful and lasting motivator yeah. you sort of come onto this earlier with the whole, the whole like uni thing that you, you went back to uni but you yeah. were actually motivated to be there which yeah. was probably the opposite of what I was actually when I was at uni yeah. there and I was like it's completely unmotivated <laughs> and being like I don't know what why I'm here yeah. I left after like about a year and a half I was just getting letters from the uni being like where are you where are you <laughs> we're going to kick you out sort of thing and we're going back to my mum and dad's and I got that, that, it was the third letter I remember and it was uh, uh, the not the halls I'd moved down to a house and I, opened it, I thought oh, I've got a I've, this is it, I've just got to go. So I packed all my bags and went home and got the train and then just rocked up at mum and dad's and mum went to the door and I was like, all right. She was like, what are you doing, Matt? Uh, I'm going to quit. And then she was like, okay, but you can only stay here if you're going to go and get a job tomorrow morning. Yeah. If you don't, then you can't. And I was like, yeah, okay, sweet. So I only got three jobs the next week, that whole week and I was like, three bar jobs, not doing what I could. Um, but you put startups are hard. Yeah. They take a, a lot of time on your health, yeah. your friendships, your relationships. So if you don't have a burning motivating side, you'll struggle to uh, to last the distance. Yeah. Big thing for me, uh, you, you know, health, friendships, relationships. I don't think anyone realizes how much it cuts through your just average life. Yeah. So I've, uh, before I yeah. um, started on the tools and an electric house, I've not ran a business before. It's the first business I've uh, I've operated. I've had loads of different. Like me and Adam always joke that we're like. Belvoir and Rodney that right. we've you know we've great work. me and I went to school with each other we're sort of like old school um, best friends been on holiday family holidays and all that and we'd always have ideas of doing different things but this is the first business we've operated that right. has actually become a business yeah but if someone had said to me about the the sort of the trials and uh, that you go through when you're doing it and the effects it has on I think the health bit is, re- and I've probably noticed that over the past year, probably the past 12 months, the health part of like being unwell yeah. and, and like just being like, not necessarily mentally, I don't think, but health wise, just to have working too much and not realizing that I'm working yeah, too yeah, much yeah. And, that, and you can't see it. It's it's always there. It's, a little it's bit, always oh, working. Yeah, it's a little bit gradual. I suppose it can creep up on you. It's like, yeah. say you do a really physical, I don't know, say you did a marathon, you can feel it that particular day. Yeah. Sometimes this, your body gets a little bit used to it. So say you're working all the time, yeah. eventually it'll just hit you and you just, you sort of, you know, running the marathon, you hit the wall. It's a little bit like that, that you sort of, you're doing okay, you're doing okay, and then suddenly it's on top of you and you sort of, because you have to keep pushing through, that day you'll get up and go again and go again yeah. and go again, and then that's going to wear you even, uh, down even more. So there was a point, I don't know when it was, two years in, something like that, where some days I'd wake up in the morning, could make it downstairs to the sofa, and didn't want to go into work. And um, that was not that was not me. So I definitely felt it at that sort of time that <clears throat> something different was happening. And at that time I had to take it back, dial it back a step a little bit. What do you do? What does that mean? When you dial it back, what's it? You know, what's the, the 
you know, within the detail you want to give. But what does what does it actually mean when you you know? Because because as, as a fan, you at this point you're still CEO and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. business is growing yeah. at a ridiculous rate. Yeah. How do you dial back without without? I, I guess the team's going to be good, you know, in terms of having the team, the, the the right team around you to be able to dial back. But I think part of it was you got to recruit more people. Yeah. So sometimes you're doing too much. Um, I think there's a. I was sort of compensating sometimes that I was still going to the gym a fair bit. So I was still trying to do everything. Yeah. So I was still, you know, I was getting up in the morning early, going to the gym, doing a hard session, doing a day's work, and then working early evenings. And then sometimes, because you've done all of that, you feel like you, you're owed something to yourself, so you have a bit of fun. So you might go around a friend's house, you drink a bit too much, you <laughs> stay out a bit too late, get up in the morning and do it again. Yeah. And of course, you're trying to do everything. You're starting to keep your relationships going, you're trying to keep your friendships going, you're trying to like keep the business going, you're trying to keep your, your fitness level up, you're trying to do everything. And at some point you're, something's got to break, something's got to give. And so that's why there's, there's consequences to all of it if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really hard balance. I think people, I, I had someone, someone said to me the other day, I was, I was talking to someone, that guy earlier, I was talking about the School of Code uh, yeah. in Birmingham, and he said, uh, uh, if someone asked me, whether I want, whether they should be an entrepreneur, I, yep. I'd always tell them like, don't ever go near it, like, don't ever do it. He said because I know I'm not putting them off. He said because if that person then listens to me and doesn't do it, he said, yep. then they're not an entrepreneur anyway, and they won't do it. They won't have the, the minerals to last it. Yeah. Because the the bits you go through that people don't see yep. is the is the bit that no one really talks about or no one really you know it's the it's not the and, and pe- I think there's an ideology as well or an idea behind the whole thing that it's really glamorous. Yeah. And unlike ninety nine percent of the time. It's not. It's not, is no. it? You just get you go into work like everyone else, you know, it and, is, and yeah. you're dealing with all the, the bits and pieces that everyone else is dealing with. Yeah, it's just it, it's, it's a job. It's just a very long job. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very rewarding job. You get it right. Yeah, of course. It can be, I suppose for a lot of people, it doesn't go right. And so, you know, I was talking to a guy last night. He's not paid himself for three years. I didn't pay myself for the first three years. Luckily, I had money behind me, so it didn't yeah. matter. I had money in the bank. This guy hasn't, and he hasn't paid himself for three years. He's a uh, I was at the ward dinner last night, so he was I don't know where he was. 25, 30, something like that. So he hasn't got money behind him, this is his first business, and he hasn't paid himself for three years, and he's grafting, and you just think, well, and that, that business, by the sounds of it, what he was t- telling me last night, might not ever turn into anything. So he's put three years of his life into it, not paid himself, and might walk away with zero. It's really hard, isn't it? And, and how do you, <clears throat> you know, can you tell people to stop, well, you know, When's the, and how do you know when to stop as well? You know, I guess well at that point, if you run out of money, then yeah, and, and you're putting your own life in there. I think there's, you know, I usually, it's, it's quite difficult, but yeah, you should never give up. But at the same time, you should give up really fast. You know, there's there's both. Um, <clears throat> you need to think about both angles. I think sometimes there's something that you have to keep pushing through and go through. So that's never give up. But sometimes you've got to pull the plug as quick as you can because. You know, they talk about fail fast. You know, you want to learn really quickly if something's going somewhere. And so I hear stories, again, I was talking to some people last night, they've been chugging along with a business for quite a number of years. And uh, is it gonna go anywhere? I'm not sure by what I heard. And they've been at it nearly seven years now in total. They've made a little bit of money, but you know, my first business I built and sold in three years. That then gave me money to then do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And that was, that was really good. You know, if I was still in that business now, that business sort of went up and went back down again. I think it's not so profitable now. So, 
I'm glad I got out at the right time. <laughs> yeah, good work. Right? But <laughs> if you stick around too long, you know, then, then that second business that you all span out of, you know, I put uh, 80 grand, 100 grand into building that business up. It got some initial traction, but never paid his money back. So it lost all that money, really. But luckily, I, as soon as I saw Huel has got better potential, I got out straight away. So I, I gave up on that company. So this, this, this is this sort of tension between never give up, but give yeah. up fast. But interestingly on that one, you wouldn't have maybe come up with the idea for Huel if you weren't doing that anyway, because yeah. the, the consensus was actually feedback on your yeah, original yeah. business. It so. was, yeah, it was an iteration on that business. Really. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of a, yeah, it's the byproduct of, of what that was. Correct. And something else that you, you mentioned on there is about the, the whole strong culture bit. So you've got you you know, it seems it seems like you're heavy on brand. Yep. Most people that are heavy on brand are heavy on culture. Yep. There's a, I think there's quite a strong link behind yeah. the like the ethos of how that runs through and the people yep. you have within it and things yep. like that. Um, how do how you had any like massive issues with trying to keep that culture that you built? No. You know, because like with you know. Businesses that have got strong cultural start from that bit where yep. we were talking about earlier, where it's that like it just feels like a family. You go because you're all doing all the different pieces that need doing, and yep. it's exciting when you've got growing, you're selling loads of product. You're all having to like get in and pack things and do, you know do all that bit, and yep. then then you get to a point now where you're 100 worldwide. Yep. Um, has anything changed? Do you have any problems with how you how do you keep on top of it? How how do you make sure that that culture drives through? Uh, okay, so. Three three things. I think you you write it down so it's clear. So you know, if I get run over by a bus, my thoughts are still down on paper. So yeah. the culture should last. So writing it down is key. I wrote down the the I wrote down rules of the game quite early. Had it up on the wall. Even as three people in office, I had written it down that early. Um, it's changed a little bit in terms of the wording, but the gist yeah. of it is still there. And uh, so writing it down, number one, uh, you recruit the first. You know, the recruitment is the key is that if you let a bad apple into the business, that one bad apple, like a rotten apple, it can spread to other places. So if you recruit the right people, you should never get the bad apple in there in the first place. But if you do, you know, they need to leave quite quickly if you've made a mistake. So recruitment is really key. And I still recruit, I'm still involved in, every, in all the recruitment. So the way it works here is that the line manager recruits for the skills and expertise that they need. So let's just take designer as an example. They will pick the best designer for their role. But <clears throat> they then need to come to me. So I do effectively a culture interview. Only 15 minutes, doesn't have to be a lot. So I just sit down with them 15 minutes, I can tell whether they're the right fit for yeah. fuel. And then as a backup to that, so I can veto that. So even if they're the best designer in the world, I can say, no, I don't think they're gonna fit here. So they don't join. Then to back up to that, we have uh, two of our old school hooligans here that sort of know the culture really well from a different team. So they're not looking at expertise or skills, they're just purely looking at fit. And again, they are allowed, again, short 15, 20 minute interview, they again have got a veto, they can say, no, this person's not joining. So we have those, those sort of uh, backups to ensure that the right people join. And then once they're in, I induct everybody. And again, in only half an hour, I, I go through the, uh, the DNA of the company, the way I want the company to be, and also how I expect all of our hooligans to behave and I just go through those two sections which are written down. I, I talk them through it from you know the horse's mouth, and then that seems to work. How, how often do you um, disagree with the team? Uh, disagree with the team. In terms, from a recruitment perspective, so they've they've got like their perfect designer, right? And then and then it comes into you like and uh, nah. Very very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all because we've all come from the same sort of gone through the same process. We all sort of know how. What other people will expect 
and it's been very rare. I have said it. I said, no, I don't think that person's right. I have said it. Has the culture fit team said it? I'm not quite sure. But yeah, it's just a, it's a double check just to keep everybody yeah, in line. Yeah, yeah. And it stops, it makes people themselves, the line manager, think about who they're recruiting because they don't want to put the right wrong person in front of me or through uh, the culture fit team. Yeah. No, it's an, it, and really interesting that you, that you still, uh, as, as a, it, as a, CMO and founder of a company that's a hundred well, deep talking, now that you, that you some, still do that? Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day, I think they were involved somewhere, I think it was Airbnb, and I think their founders got up to 1500 they were still doing it. That is, but, I, but, but there's, but there's some the in that, though, isn't that? Yeah, this is an important thing, so if, you know, a company is no more than the group of people, and a product probably, or, or a mission, or a goal. And it's the group of people that make it happen. So if you've got the wrong group of people, you probably won't ever overachieve on what you, you, you could be. So it is vitally important to get it right. And uh, yeah, you can argue that I should be in a meeting talking about, I don't know, higher level stuff, but I yeah. still think that the team is so important. I've got to work with these people anyway, so I want to make sure, well, yeah, that's it. I want to make sure they're people I want to work with. You know, it's macro and micro, isn't it? I think there's, <clears> there's always elements of a, of a founder's oh, role that you end up doing both, you know, that you'll, you'll do both ends. Yeah, sorry, the other thing we do, we never really, Pretty much we've never used recruitment consultants. We have used some freelance people occasionally, but from quite an early day we had an internal recruiter. Now we've got two full-time internal recruiters. So again, they're immersed in the brand and the culture, so they know exactly. So when they're recruiting, you know, it's not like some external person you need to brief and they're picking somebody off a, off a list somewhere. They, they, they pretty much know what we expect and what we want here. So that has been a very good choice from an early stage as well. Yeah, and I guess they're just hearing it, they get it, they get the feel, they Correct. get the fit. So yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> have you struggled with recruitment? Because obviously a company that grows at that, at that rate in, in uh, an area that isn't London or a yeah. city and things like yeah. that, you know, we, we felt it in, in Tamworth, you know, we're, we're like north of Birmingham, we're in an old mining town. Yeah. Uh, and we're, a, you know, a, an odd, weird growing media company in, in a town that yeah. is mainly built of, you know, um, Industrial. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, in general, not really. We're not that far away from London. Yeah. And a lot of people who work in London don't live in London. So we can sort of cherry pick all those yeah. people off around from the outside of London and say, well, look, would you rather work here or would you rather commute for an hour and a half into London? It's quite an easy. We had a share options scheme from a very early uh, stage as well. So everybody in the business has got share options. So you've all got sort of, you know, you, you've got an upside. So there's another reason to come and Amazing. join us. Yeah. And occasionally we've had certain rare skills that uh, have been more difficult to recruit. So uh, we had to create satellite offices. We were just talking earlier about yeah. Birmingham. You know, it's a, developers are quite a rare resource at the moment. They're quite in demand. And for some reason, there's a hotbed in Birmingham. So uh, the guy that we found, we really wanted him to stay. And uh, so we, we created a satellite office for him. And now he's got a team of seven developers up with him in Birmingham. And uh, the guy we found for our performance marketing team was in London, and he was South London, so it's too far for him to commute. So we created a satellite office in, in London for him. And uh, satellite offices are problematic in terms of, they feel a little bit out of touch, sometimes communication is not as good, but all of our meeting rooms have got Zoom in, so we can have, you know, I just had a meeting with a London team just before this. So you can do it. It's not quite as good as if they sat next to you. Yeah. But the, the compromise is that we had to recruit people that weren't as good. So yes, that's why we've got those two satellite offices. Yeah, it's really interesting having to, you know, in the scale of recruitment and, and, and tech and things <clears> like that, um, how, how businesses manage that. Um, I wanted to go on to the, the, the product a little bit, okay. if I can. So yep. you, I, and I've I seen when you, you'd, um, I'm pointing over, I might as well point your, your one you've got on, on your, the, yep. the, the instant 
ready-made yep. uh, drink. Yep, call it a drink. Yep. Right, yeah. Drink. Yep. Yeah. Um, how has that been for the business? You know, has it, has it been a bit of a step change? Because obviously you've gone from this powder, the powder yep. into into now the, the, the ready-made. Yep. Um, big thing, I guess, for the business and, and yep. uh, how's it gone? So it's our second biggest seller. Our powder is still majority yeah. by quite a long way. Uh, the powder is superior in some ways. The, in terms of uh, nutritionals, is very good. In terms of uh, environmental credentials, is very good. In terms of cost, it's lower cost as well. But for powder, it is uh, it's more alien for some people that you need to then you know get some water, add powder to it, shake it up. It's quite a thick texture for some people and quite bitty for some people. So powder, I use powder twice twice a day during the working week. I, I like it a lot. But you know the, the, the ready-made drink gives us a, a different a different uh, audience. So sales going on the train to London, I won't want to take one of our shakers and some water and powder and mix it up on a train. This one's grab and go. The other thing that allows us to do is go into retail. Like we can't really sell powder in retail. There's no benefit really. Yeah, you yeah. send your powder to your house free of charge next day. But if you want to grab and go something for lunch or on your way to work from a petrol station or something like that, this product will uh, open that market up to us. We recently launched in Sainsbury's with, with the RTD. Amazing. Ready to drink. Uh, and we think that um, that will do really well. We've already beaten the targets they've given us. So it's going well. And um, it's even, you know, even if even the channels for brand awareness, because you know the bottle is very, it's, it's very clean, simple, yeah. minimal, stands out really well on the shelf. It's quite tall, it's quite elegant. So again, it's good, good for brand awareness. And we do believe that uh, retail is going to be a big channel for us. Direct to consumer is still going to be our where our heart is, but retail will uh, another string to our bow. And and the, yeah, I'm asking this myself as well, but yeah, I mean this is a bit me. So like I, I'm if I've got power and yeah, oh, I ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. For whatever reason, maybe I'm just lazy in my food prep. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like the difference between what you you're at, you're ready to. Yep. ready-made ones and the uh, the powder yep are people can they switch out for each one or is, or is the powder yep. still actually more beneficial from a nutrition point of view and uh, it's, it's still both both products have got all the essential nutrients in so yeah. the core to us is that we're complete nutrition so we've got all 26 essential vitamins and minerals we've got all the essential uh, fats uh, all the essential protein you need it's got fiber phytonutrients and some carbs as well and all products are exactly the same they've got those core seven things and um the slight difference between the two is that uh, there's more micro differences, but yeah, the powder is superior in terms of nutrition, but they're pretty close. So this product is, is, you know, is a really good product, and in terms of the consuming of it, you know, of course it's much simpler, you just crack the lid and off you go. In terms of the texture, this is very smooth, this is more like a, even though this is a vegan product, it is more like a traditional milkshake that you would have. Yeah. Um, it's thick. Is super pleasant, you know. It is a good product, and uh, you know you could walk up to anybody on the street, give them one of those, and they go, "Yeah, that's really good," yeah. and it's really healthy for you. And that's one of our keys that we are a nutrition first company, but taste is a close second because we are aware that you know we all like taste. Yeah, and I think even more so with like a, you know, like a ready-made product. Yeah, the taste has got to be that. It's got to be it's good. Got to be the driver, Especially you're just grabbing it in retail, you don't I mean. know what it is, and then when people spin it around and go, "Well, oh, shit, it's got all that stuff in it as well." That's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. If, the, if the taste is, is something that's not to scraps, then straight away you've lost that, yeah. that audience, that convenience, or something, you know. Yeah. Um, what does 
the founder yep. of Yule. Yep. What does the what does the man eat? You know, he's, he's got a product <laughs> that he, he could just yeah. have breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner with. Yeah. Um, but what's you're obviously a healthy guy. You go to the gym. Yep. You, you know, you you've got to be obsessed with nutrition in order to run this. You know, and, and found this business. Yeah. Um, what's it look like? Okay, so for me, it's pretty simple. Um, Monday to Friday, uh, breakfast and lunch, fuel powder, pretty much. Sometimes, like today, I've literally come into here, I didn't have any powder near me, so I just grabbed one of these to come in here. So I've just had one of those. But yeah, breakfast and lunch will be fuel powder. Uh, and then we've got fuel bars as well. So sometimes in the afternoon, if I want a snack, I'd have a fuel bar. So that's because it's all in the office. There's, yeah. no, there's no catering around here. I don't yeah, want to bring yeah, yeah. nothing into work. So that that's, that's me. And then when I get home in the evening, I will have a traditional meal, family meal with me and my son. So that would probably look like, I don't know, could be you know veg and salmon or, some you know veg. I like a, lot, a big plate full of veg because it fills you up. So I like uh, a lot of veg. And it'll be sometimes you know chicken or salmon or a vegan dish. I'm not a vegan myself, but I believe we should all be, uh, eat more plant-based. Um, and then the weekends it could be anything, but typically it's going to be out with friends, friends and family. So it's going to be restaurants or even takeaway stuff like that. So the weekends don't have fuel at all really. So, but those 10 meals a week that I have, that's nearly 50% on my meals, which are 100% plant-based. Yeah. So without even trying, I'm doing good for the planet because I think we're all aware that plant-based food is way better for the planet than uh, livestock production, which is uh, quite damaging to the planet in terms of carbon emissions, etc. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it makes, uh, makes me feel good as well. And I know I'm getting all my essential nutrients. I was joking yesterday, yesterday that I haven't had a cold. I know it sounds a little bit silly, but I haven't had a cold in like four and a half years. <laughs> it's like a superhuman. Uh, well, it's just, it's just, I don't know whether it's the nutrition or what. I don't know. I've not had time to have a cold. I don't know what it is. I've not had one. But actually last week I went away to America and I got a cold. And it's the first one I've had in four and a half years. And um, I didn't have fuel with me. I was thinking, oh, really? But I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe they got stronger colds out in America. And I picked one up out there. I don't know what, what happened. The airplane. That's maybe, what people always say. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, yeah. How does... Um, you talk about the product there and, and how nice it looks and the branding and everything like that. But, yeah. Um, from a media... You know, I'm very much involved in media and got a passion for it. And, yep. um Particularly video and stuff. What's the what's the play with Huel in in terms of its and you mentioned it earlier that you you actually were in a role and like, I haven't done any any marketing for like a month. Like, yeah. What's the what's the biggest driver from as a CMO yeah. now? What's the biggest driver from your you know uh, from your media uh, and your marketing efforts? Okay. So for me, I think uh, I actually did this on the board last last month. I'm trying to like too often people confuse marketing with advertising. Yeah. Advertising is one part of marketing. And in the perfect world, if you get your marketing right, you shouldn't have to spend any money on advertising. Yeah. Because if you sell a product to somebody and you make them happy, which I believe that's the sole purpose of marketing is to make people happy. So if you can make the customer happy, they will rebuy from you and they will tell their friends. So you don't have to spend the money on advertising once you've got the ball rolling. So I focus on everything around that. It's like if, if the product I don't know, everything from, it doesn't open properly, like our pouches, if they don't open properly, that's a bad customer experience, fix that. If the deliveries are late, that's a bad customer experience, fix that. So it's all about, if it doesn't taste right, if the texture's not right. So I get involved in new product development, the, the, the packaging, the logistics, 
the website, you know, the first experience. Yes, we do do advertising, but it's all of that stuff. But it's all around customer experience and whether the person. So we've got really big, um, uh, well-spec customer service team. Traditionally, customer service is. Uh, I've worked at quite a few places where it's the unloved team. Yeah. They're in a dark corner somewhere. They're the cheapest resource, low quality, and they're you know, and therefore they're not giving great experience. You know, I sort of look up to the likes of. John Lewis, you go into a John Lewis store, you feel really good level of customer service. Why? Because they're all partners, they all share in the business profits. Well, everybody shares in the same profits here, or the, the, uh, the, the shares of the business. So it's all of that as one, and you know, marketing and advertising therefore is a small part of it, but really that's why I focus on the whole thing. So it's, it's everything, it's the attention to detail which makes the difference between being an average brand and a, and a market leader. Yeah. How does... Um how does that affect the future then for you know for what you know what are the plans for Huel? You obviously had a big big old four years yep. uh, to where you are now. Um what are the what are the next steps? What's the what's the next big thing? So we've got some new exciting any, any secrets you can <laughs> <laughs> We've got some exciting products coming. Yeah. Um so I don't know when this is getting broadcast. Uh twenty seventh. Of this month. Yes. So we, yeah, so when this goes out, <laughs> or later if needs yeah. When this goes out, we've just, we would have just about launched a, a new revision of our bar. So okay. it's come with a new wrap, wrapper as well. So the packaging has been improved. We've taken the bar side down from 200 calories, from 250 calories down to 200, so it's slightly more snackable. So we've got 400 calories of a meal, 200 calories for a snack. It's much more chewy and more, uh, still got all the same nutritional profile, but it's more chewy. We've got chocolate uh, chips in there now. Uh, we've got new flavors coming out. Just the whole thing's been improved in terms of the bar. And we've got some new exciting stuff coming in terms of powder coming okay. and some other new stuff coming in the next sort of few months. And uh, it's just making everything better. The example I usually give is um, Google first Apple computer and look where they are today. And I think we're on the same sort of path. If you go into our reception, there's our original pure powder in there. I think we've done seven revisions of that on version 2.4 at the moment. So we've done several, seven different improvements to Huel over the last four years. Yeah. And um, we've got more coming. So each one of those we've improved the, the, the uh, you know, we've, we've improved some of the vitamins and minerals. Um, we've made it more natural. We've uh, improved the taste and texture, improved the flavors, going on natural in flavors, all these types of things. So it's just all improvement, 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 iterate, iterate. I think a lot of companies, they just make something once, stick on a shelf, leave it, just forget about it. That's not good enough for what we do here. It's everything we do from you know the t-shirt to the, the box. We're just improving the delivery boxes going out in. We've just switched to um, uh, a new delivery service to improve all these things, all about customer experience, all about improving stuff, just making things better, better, better. How important is it? Because when I when I first seen Huel as a brand, yeah, first thing I thought of was like, oh, they're trying to save people time, yeah, yeah? which I think yeah. is a big, particularly when you look at, well, like loads of particularly tech based businesses yeah. now, and and you know like your Uber, your Airbnb, it's all like, it's all like a time thing as yeah. well as 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 well as as well as being a great product or yeah. or, or business. But it it feels like that the brand is moving across into not only, obviously the time thing is still that by bringing out convenience, yep. more retail led products, and I guess is, you know, with the bar as well, that's another time thing of like, okay, brilliant, I'm on the go. Yep. But it feels like the brand isn't just about, and, and, and you know, 
without offending you and saying I use any bothered about people's time when you first launch, uh, but it feels like the brand has, has moved into this thing about it's not just about saving, it's not just about convenience, it's it's about the quality of the product, the packaging, yep. the you know the service. I think it's great that businesses are now really focusing back on that customer service piece. Yep. Um, do you feel like the brand has, has, has sort of like grown up and, and covers more things there's more things that are important than just about like oh actually you can be nutritionists be be nutritious on the go yeah I think we've always been that way it's just a, it takes time to get to where you want to get to I think we know what looks good and yeah. what we need to fix because you know I think one of the, the things that you know other entrepreneurs I would suggest is you've definitely been one of your customers if you're the customer of the product, I use the product all the time. I know what pisses me off. Yeah. I know what's not good enough. I know what I want to fix, but sometimes it might take you a year, two years to fix it. It takes a long time. Yeah. So yeah, there is that constant uh, improvement in mind. And yeah, we are more than just a, a convenient product. You know, we've got a mission statement, which I don't know if you can see on the camera, but you know, it's, it's nutrition complete food, convenient, affordable food with minimal impact on the environment and animals. So there's all of that that we, we bring into it as well. And um, you know, we think we are, our heart's in the right place and we're more than that. We've got this big community of hooligans now. And uh, you know, there's, lots of, there's lots of places we can go and, and, and improve stuff. And uh, yeah, we, we want to make the world a better place. We want to do that with um, you know, um, everything we do. So we're always looking for different ways, you know, like we just designed our new box. And so that's going to be ink on the outside would be uh, water-based rather than oil-based ink, you know, all those little things yeah. that can make a difference. And yeah, we just want you know the world to be a better place. And one of those is by going more plant-based. I love it. I think it's um, an amazing, amazing brand. And I'm, I'm a big lover of brand and I, I, I love the way the brand looks. I think it's one of the much. early things that was nailed with it as obviously amongst other, uh, and lots of other things, but, um, uh, can't wait to see everything that happens with the brand in the future. Um, pleasure meeting you. Um, great to hear that the founders are a hooligan as well, and he's not just eating like steak and chips, you know, you know or, or whatever, you know, yeah. loves a McDonald's or whatever. But yeah, um, yeah I think it's an amazing business, amazing story, and uh, been a, been a pleasure. And you know, um, everyone who's listening, please please subscribe and like and share uh, the, the podcast um, as much as possible. Let's get these hooligans listening to uh, 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 the founder and, and how he grew the business. Um, absolute pleasure and uh, listening next time, guys. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you.